0: Hi everyone, Aaron Lolito back with another roundtable discussion. I'm here right now with Chris Vogt just to give you a quick intro and we'll get right into the discussion after that. Uh, For today we have three great poems that appeared in our latest issue, July, which is issue nine. We have Rebecca Faulkner's Bees, which is first up. After that, it's Under Trees by Valentina Grenier. And thirdly, it's Glass by Rachel Glass.
1: Yep, so I'll be here as a fellow teacher of English at the college level, along with my friend Aaron, to talk about these three poems, get excited about them, and just have a casual roundtable discussion and see how you feel about the poems, talk them through, and do one of my favorite things, which is nerding out with my friends talking about uh, poetry.
0: So I hope you join us. I hope you're interested. And if you do, uh, go ahead and click on the link. All right, yes, I hope you join us. With me and Chris in this uh, latest discussion are two people who've been previously published in Wild Roof Journal, Eva Zwicky and Nicole Winters. So it's kind of nice to have them uh, back join us. They've been in, in previous issues, so keeping them as a, a part of the Wild Root community is always a nice thing. Um, and they've actually picked these three poems that appear in the latest issue. Obviously we can't talk about all of them uh, in these discussions, but it's nice to, to pick a bunch that uh, speak to us in different ways. And it's always interesting to see how our, sometimes our readings align and we pick a certain line or a certain word that stands out or seems to be like highlighted in our reading and uh, other places we might diverge a little bit and, and have different takes on it. For now, uh, enjoy the discussion and uh, we'll get right into it.
1: I would love the idea of taking questions, I have to say, if like somebody was watching oh. and they could add questions as well, that would be super
0: neat.
2: <laughs> we could we could live stream it, whatever you, <laughs> you your project.
0: Maybe, yeah, maybe next time. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I did open it to questions on Instagram, so we'll see if any came through uh, when we get to that time. And if not, I'll make one up to pretend that there was one <laughs> that we got a question, at least one. You know what? I wanted to start with uh, the bees poem. Whose pick was that? I think that was that Nicole's.
3: Yeah, I think that was mine.
0: Okay, that's one. I looked at it again today, and then I was like, "Wow!" Like I not necessarily forgot about it, but I kind of read it in a in a new way today when I looked at it again. So I'm glad you picked that one. Um, so yeah, you can, you can say a little bit about it if you want to start.
3: Sure, yeah. I think I was drawn to it because it starts off kind of with this like very like relatable kind of like nostalgic vibe, you know, just like this like kind of childhood memory type situation. then it gets like very deep by the end of it, I felt like, and you're kind of like left with a very different feeling at the end. Um, And there's like kind of this switch like halfway through the poem where like the bees actually come in. Um, And like, I think that the language and the imagery gets really interesting. Like I really liked the like bees polishing the air black the horizon of pain, the like chest humming inside my shirt where your hands were careless, like those moments where I think the like way that the images are handled get very interesting. And I thought it was the first kind of mention of them was this like, you found the nest first. And like, to me, the use of nest instead of hive, you know, has like this more kind of like non-threatening feel to it. And then all of a sudden, i like being attacked, you know, so it's like, I found that kind of juxtaposition really interesting. And then the way that you leave, or that it gets left off. It's this like kind of idea of like survival. So there's this like level of, like, to me, what was like empathy with the thing that the, the speakers being attacked by, and then having that, like, also kind of that, like, of you trying to love me, kind of the like, trying, but not doing fantastic job. I don't know, like, it was just like a very interesting kind of feel to be left with at the end of the poem. So it really kind of stayed with me afterwards. I like had to read it a couple times and think about it a little bit. But yeah, yeah did know. anybody else uh, <laughs> have, a,
0: have, a, have an ad? but yeah, we could obviously go back um, yeah, and yeah. Pick out some things a little more deeply. But yeah,
1: this this will be a, a short one. But just you know, anytime I read a poem like this, where I kind of visualize what might seem like a, a familiar scene or a nostalgic scene, like something from My Girl. And uh, I'm looking for kind of cliche words and I didn't see the word drone in the entire poem. And I was sort of like, oh, I feel like somebody is in a territory or a situation thematically that could invite some cliches. And this one seemed to kind of sidestep those cliches like jujitsu, I appreciated that very much.
2: Totally, I agree. Um, I didn't really feel any any cliches in the poem and I think similar to what Nicole was saying um, I think you said maybe it starts off very playful um, or I don't know if that was the word but to me I I completely agree like when I think of poems and when I read a poem it's funny I almost chose this one also because I thought it was so good Um, and I feel like my first experience with a poem the only really way I know if like To me, it's good or like my first criteria is um, like whether or not it's enjoyable, (laughs) like easy as that. And I think it just read so like smoothly and like the language of it kind of carries you through right up until the end. Um, And it's kind of just devastating at the end. It's like I'm going to carry you uh, by the hand and then I'm going to give you a little gut punch um, right at the end, which is nice.
0: Yeah, I had uh, a sense in this one that it was just a perfect fit for this came out in the July issue. And then that's kind of the the reading I had of it today. Like that, that uh, nostalgic summertime childhood like scene just like hit me over the head. I'm like, I didn't like remember that the first time I read it or going through it or whatever. Um, But yeah, you said a couple of things that I wanted to go back to first line or t- two lines they're just so inviting I just thought I, th- I mean you, maybe you mentioned it it just kind of like invites you into this scene and doesn't have anything that kind of knocks you out of it so I guess that was kind of one of my questions maybe if we think as the writer for a little bit like how does that happen like how do how do you go into such nostalgic like cliche territory and you even mentioned like my girl like how do you not think of my girl when you read the poem, but how, like, how does that get avoided and just kind of not, not get distracting where it gets kind of syrupy or melodramatic or something distasteful like that? Do you have any thoughts on, like, what's it doing well?
1: I hesitate to use the word attack, but the scene where the bees come after the two main characters, (laughs) uh, I feel like the word attack is maybe a little too invasive, but it could have been a lot more violent, or it could have been a lot more Hollywood, for lack of a better term, kind of sensationalized. And I was wondering, as soon as I got to the the bee that's trying to get to the back of her mouth, like threatening the wing, I can't find the exact line, but there was something special and different happening there, Like, like and my expectations were being consistently averted, and it was like... the. the expectations were gradually getting further and further until we get to the punchline ending and you kind of step back and say oh oh it wasn't it wasn't just about the bees i i see and i, I felt like you said being taken by the hand but not down a very familiar path like oh, yes, this is the turn it takes here here's the twist here's the punchline
3: yeah i think too for me it was like the um not the dancing around cliches but like you kind of like mentioned like the sidestepping of cliches and i think The way that the imagery is done, like even like, we're you know, if you're talking about bees and you don't even get like the word stinging until like the very end, but it's like, paired with rope, you know what I mean? So it's not even paired with like the actual bee necessarily. And so I think that there are ways in like which the images are handled, like the wings reaching for my throat, you know, it's just like ways that you that you don't necessarily expect, but that are also like, feel very tangible, you know, like, it's like, you can still feel that as you're reading it, it's just not laid out in a way that you're used to seeing it. So that that to me was like one of the biggest things. And those first two lines, like being drawn in and like being able to connect kind of like instantly with something, but also like have something so relatable, but also like very specific. I just thought was um, really cool. So
1: <laughs> does anybody know the uh, short story? It's really not that short. So I think it's like 30 pages long. <laughs> It's Kurt Vonnegut, and it's called "Welcome to the Monkey House." He said, knowing he's throwing himself onto thin ice. Is that a familiar story to anybody?
2: I haven't read it. I wish. <laughs>
1: well, it's I can't recommend it because, it, in retrospect, it's kind of gruesomely problematic. Uh, one of the key plot points is we're in a future dystopian society. Everybody is enforced to have no sex whatsoever, whatsoever, because they take drugs that suppress the sex drive, and Of course, there's a male main character who uh, whisks a girl away and he's he's gonna have her not take the drugs and kind of bring her into the fold of the rebellion of people who are able to experience sexual feelings. And the way it is described as, then she noticed something in her nether regions like, like the soft bees buzzing or the soft drone of bees buzzing. And I wondered if anyone wanted to hypothesize this poem might be a boxed first attempt at intimate romance. Anybody that got two fingers being pushed into something, an attempt at getting the back of the throat, I think something slides under a shirt where you had made your mistake, something along those lines. And of course, at the end, the rejection. You want to take that one on? I'm, I'm reaching a little bit, but I'm not sure.
3: Yeah,
0: I think you're, uh, well, I'm just going to say, I think you're way off, Chris. You're way out of line. You're, I was I was afraid you were going to go in this territory. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, the, um, the and I didn't even put the, the use of hive to it, or the the non-use of hive to it, but yeah. In the fifth stanza, you found the nest first. It just kind of makes you stop for a second because it's even before we get to the bees, other than the title. Um, but then I found myself in the is it the sixth stanza or fifth stanza when the bees finally come. I was like, oh yeah, it's about it's about bees, right? And you you kind of get reminded halfway through. That's what's so kind of nice about it. It, It's it's surprised like it surprised me, even though you know where it's going from the. There's this kind of little like, you know, youthful romance happening, and but it was still like, a little surprising.
1: For me, the the, yeah, if I found the line uh, chest humming inside my shirt where your hands were careless, like all right, now now I can't ignore it anymore. (laughs) I
2: think also it's like not too problematic to read into it. like because it is obviously a romantic interaction and like back, sorry, my dog might be in the background um, running around. Like the first instance of bees also isn't violent at all. Um, it's almost like gentle. If if I may, I'll just like read over it really quickly. Um, you found the nest first, small but wide enough to push fingers into. I shook as the first one landed on my tongue, wings reaching for my throat, bees polishing the air black, a blazing happiness. And then it goes into the pain. Um, But really, it's kind of, it seems almost a bit gentle, even though it's an intrusive situation.
1: That was part of my initial hesitancy in describing the bee situation as an attack, because I felt like the author was deliberately, there's an evil twin version of this poem where the bees are angry and a force of nature and something to be feared and they're intrusive and invasive. And it seems like this person deliberately didn't go that route, which I thought was interesting.
3: Yeah, I agree. And then there is, it does end with, you know, like the end of you trying to love me. So there are kind of like subtle hints of this kind of throughout. And it kind of almost starts off in that kind of like romantic type, you know, childhood, (laughs) crush type situation so but I think that the way that it's it does kind of just like very gently carry you through the poem until the end and then you're like whoa
0: (laughs) so now that we got our uh, first poem out of the way uh Nicole if you wouldn't mind uh doing a quick intro of who are you what do you do why are you here anything you want (laughs) to share about yourself
3: sure um I'm Nicole. (laughs) Um, So I'm a ceramic artist slash poet um, at the moment. So I just am like fully a working artist and I also write. And actually my first poem to get published ever was in Wild Roof Journal. So that was really exciting. (laughs) Um, uh, But yeah, so that was awesome. It was in the May issue, kind of started diving into that whole, like the world of publication and everything. So
0: yeah, I think, um, I mean, if anybody's out there is in the market for like a, a coffee mug or other <laughs> kind of like a drinking vessel, I think um, some of the ones that I've seen are pretty, pretty remarkable.
3: Thank not, you. not even
0: to say anything about the, about your poem that it <laughs> included those, those mugs. Um, but yeah, those are legit mugs. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Does they even I think that's what I remind, that's re- reminded me, they even like, there's like, there was some that have like a mountain etching on them, mm-hmm. and then like the, the um, kind of the wild roof imagery is like mountains, and the website, uh, when this is posted, it'll have your, uh, your information as oh, well, great. so people will be able to check it out, now that I awesome. uh, gave it my, uh, my recommendation.
3: Oh, this is a glowing um, review, <laughs> so nice.
0: We'll turn to uh, one of Eva's poems, and then after that, you can uh, say a little bit about you uh, about yourself as way of an introduction. So how about that?
2: Cool, um, sounds great.
0: The under trees one, I have a, I have a bit of a surprise waiting, so we'll we'll uh, we'll bump that one up next.
2: Okay, I'm happy you're um, asking, and and have um, a surprise for that one because I feel like I have a bit more to say about the other one, so um, I'm excited. Um, do you mind if I read the poem aloud first?
0: That's perfect. Yeah. I'm just double checking. I asked uh, I asked Valentina, the poet, how to pronounce her last name.
1: Mm-hmm. And I didn't
0: get the uh, didn't get the response quite yet. So we're gonna go Grenier, Valentina Grenier. Um, last roundtable yeah, we cool. had uh, one of our participants was located in Quebec City, so we're gonna go with the, the French pronunciation and the title of the poem is Under Trees.
2: Right, okay, Under Trees. Her piano quickens me with its great glass garbage. It's a reverie in all green as the shallowest edge of the river reflects the canopy clear through to reach of the sky. To fear nighttime is no apostrophe. Monitors beam marriage as the image of purgatory. Homicide as the turning point of love and desire. God's fight over who is the God. Or God is breath, aspiring death. So that's the poem. Yeah, after reading through the issue, this is one of the first ones um, that I think just really stuck to me right off the bat. Like we all have our our things that um, just naturally speak to us, I think. But right off the bat, I think that the poem um, uses very interesting language um, and maybe almost like the opposite of the last one. I, I wouldn't necessarily call it inviting. It's more so like it feels a little bit manic, which intrigues me. I think her piano quickens me. Is such an interesting first line. I don't totally understand it. I think on a first read, like, is it is it just listening to somebody play piano and like it evokes a kind of like um, like mercurialness mercur- in in someone or like what does it mean? Um, so I think I was just really really um curious about it from the get go, and yeah, I think the poem is is set up really interestingly. Um, it To me, it feels like it has like these main, like a main beginning, middle and end. And I feel different settings throughout all of it, kind of, even though the title is under trees. Um, Like at the beginning, we start off with the piano, but we quickly go into like, we we are under trees or under a canopy right next to a river. And I kind of like imagine running through through it um, but in this manic state, because there's some piano that the subject or the speaker is listening to. Um, And the middle is like just one of those moments that stops you. And I honestly have no idea what it means, Um, but I love it. To fear nighttime is no apostrophe. I'm like, is she talking about an apostrophe? Or I had, I like looked up the word because um, I was curious about if it had any, um, what the origin of apostrophe, if there was a different origin. Yeah. Did you
0: people. find anything?
2: I found some, a thing about how, I think it was Greek or Latin and it meant like turning away from something. Um, and I thought that was super interesting because so it's about fearing nighttime and like experiencing fear doesn't necessarily mean turning away from from nighttime because you're still engulfed in it. Um, so I thought that was such an interesting word choice um, and super, super enjoyable to me. And then I think, and then it like goes into, I don't know how you guys read it, but I thought of TV in the next stanza. I was like monitors beam all of these things and I thought about like reality television. Um but I might just watch too much of it. Um marriage is the imagery of purgatory. Homicide is the turning point of love and desire like I just think of like smut and everything that is kind of like um shot at us on TV all the time and how different that is from the rest of the poem like being under trees and And then, going into like the 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 major ending, like the everything which can be God, um, of course, and death. And I was kind of blown away by it. Um, that was my reading of it. and 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 yeah, I, I'm curious to hear what you you all have to say.
0: Well, I'll say one thing first is a few of my surprises aren't surprises anymore because we covered a. Uh, we'll get to we'll get to it but um you hit on a couple of things that um, that came up that makes at least two of us that learned the origins of apostrophe today
3: what so a great word
0: <laughs> i had no idea and it's just one of those things as as readers and you know as people who are interested in literature or poetry just the, the use of a grammatical word kind of gets your attention it could be done well it could not be done well but it'll at least make you take a second look at it. And even if it was just kind of surface level, you know, it's just, it's an interesting word choice. It makes you stop for a second, but then it does have that depth to it. And it's just kind of such a, just a line. It reminded me of like a pavement lyric or something. I could just imagine like that line being like the, like the hook of a song or something. That,
1: that um, the English teacher in me says that that line clearly has neon lights around it. That line is designed uh, to draw attention to itself, and of course, I went straight to Google and looked up apostrophe in the various uh, etymological all right. origins.
0: All right, so we're on the yeah, we're uh, we're being good readers here. As, as it turns out, we're not being lazy.
3: Yeah. ahead. Yeah, I I kind of had the same. Sorry. Um, I had the same kind of reaction to the first line like I was just instantly like kind of captivated by that but then also just the like very specific like word choice throughout the poem and also the way you're kind of being like tugged back and forth with like these different like contradictions like especially that first stanza like I just like reading the journal and, like, trying to, like, I almost picked this piece, too, actually, Um, but I don't know, like, you think of piano as kind of, like, this more, like, graceful, kind of grand type thing, and then from there you go, like, directly to garbage, but then you go back to reverie, which is, like, a dream, and it's just, like, I feel like you're getting constantly kind of tugged back and forth throughout the poem, which experiencing it as a reader I thought was really interesting.
1: That connects to what I was thinking, which is, um, I, I try to read poems as as objectively as possible, first run through, and I can't help it. As soon as I got to the first stanza, or I finished the first stanza, I had two readers already in my head. I had two perspectives. The teacher reader in me saw that first line and said, oh, this, this looks like a Mad Lib arbitrary juxtaposition generator poem, where you just jam words that don't go together together. And then I said, okay, well, but be patient. My favorite poet, poet is Dylan Thomas, and he's got a poem, uh, one of which is called Under the Milkwood or Under Milkwood, which resonated with me. And he'll start some of his poems with something like, altar wise by moonlight, towards the halfway house goes the dead man. Like, how does that mean? All right, let's try to be patient. The Buddhist reader was enacted when I got to uh, the very end or got his breath. And I realized the Buddhist reader in me also noticed the canopy of the trees, and, you know, one of the trees Maybe it's mostly nature versus the monitors uh, and those two potential screens. And so once once the Buddhist reader took over and I reread the poem, I was like, oh, okay, this, this actually scans uh, very nicely. And then The Piano Quickens Me it doesn't have to be too specific. It's just part of the artistic world, which is more part of the nature half of the poem under trees. And then it is the screens that have the superimposition of these narratives and these Kind of superficial juxt- juxtapositions so the uh, the buddhist reader won and i love it now
0: <laughs> nice we did our job um and the, just the, to point out something simple that just makes gives it one more layer of complexity is inverting the capital g's god's mm. fight over who's the god like
1: totally. that's,
0: that's that works you know it just it makes you think about that in a different way and I think it's that was just a really interesting simple choice and makes a difference.
1: Can we do like 60 second hot takes on the last stanza cuz pause to get the name right. Eva's version. I think I maybe like better this one. I think you read it as or God is breath aspiring death and that would totally change the perspective Oh, my
2: um, God, I misread it.
1: <laughs> that's, yeah, no, that, I do this all the time. Some of my favorite poems <laughs> I turn out to hate because I misread a word. Wow, <laughs> I, I just Buffalo saw what poems. I
2: wanted to see, I think. <laughs>
1: so, yeah, I, I like I actually like yours better as a punchline ending. I had to also Google aspirating, which I knew had something to do with choking, um, but it's specifically if you inhale liquid. So most people, not all people <laughs> who drown and, and they don't come back from it, it's because they inhale liquid so god inhaling the liquid of death any, any anyone because I, I got nothing on that one
2: oh totally different read now yeah. from from how i initially read it um can you say again what what aspirating means i want to like fully fully grasp that, it before
1: aspirating I... is a kind of quasi medical term for the act of inhaling liquid so you can you can die by choking you are just asphyxiating that's just a lack of airflow Specifically, if you inhale liquid, you are aspirating the liquid, and something like eight out of ten drowning, drowning victims aspirate. They inhale the liquid, and that's the thing that uh, creates the so, shutdown.
2: So, is the read now of the poem, the, the last stanza, God is choosing death?
1: I I like that better than what I'm getting from it. Like I said, I like your version. And of course, God is breath is is Buddhist. Uh, Brahma is the mm-hmm. simultaneous word for breath and God. But then God is breathing death doesn't give me the aspiring death means imp- aspiring the cycle maybe or rebirth right. regenerative.
0: Uh, I can't do as much with aspirating. That's another kind of another take at it. Yeah. But I do that all the time. I've had readings of poems where the poem
1: was ruined when I found out the right way or right reading, or I, I had misinterpreted an obvious metaphor, and then
2: right. You wonder, yeah.
1: We're I mean, all the still, time?
2: There are still parts of it that I absolutely love, and I I'm not going to say I dislike the ending. Um, I think just the the meaning of it, if you're to take meaning um, from it, changes.
0: You know, offer. Uh... Valentina's a little bit uh, behind the scenes commentary on this one, one. it's the one I have uh, a little bit of extra insight. So I'll read what she what she sent me this afternoon. So she gives a little bit of just the the kind of the, the origins of it. She says this, the first thing that comes to mind is getting ready to go on a date with my now wife. She's often ready before me and will play the piano to prelude to our departure. She plays by ear and instinct, so each song is an original. What she was playing on that particular evening reminded me of Philip Glass." So there's the kind of the sideways reference to Glass in the first stanza. Uh, She continues, I found the first fragment I wrote in a notebook when I was using, when I first moved to Tucson around 2010. So it's just a little fragment that ends in fear of fear nighttime it's no apostrophe. The last line questions its grammar and led me to think about how, or sorry, to think about the Greek origin of the word apostrophe, meaning to turn or to turn away. She actually did a side by side of two different versions of the poem. Um, so she says, looking at the first draft next to the version published, I can see, as usual, I was in need of a few articles. I tend to disregard them when I'm in a generative phase and try to get the sense of things out as quickly as possible. The image in the second stanza of the first draft isn't quite an image yet. So I turn back to see where it came from. I remembered an ideal afternoon swim in a slow moving stream near Sacramento, California in the late nineties or early knots. I camped overnight with my friend Nikki Embry. Shout out to Nikki. The swim reminded me of Fellini's Amarcord. There were dozens of seeds floating through the air just as they signal the turning of time at the beginning and end of Fellini's film. The angle of the light as I sat on the edge of the bank to dry astounded me uh, the depth of the reflection. At the shallowest edge of the stream, I could see from the surface of the water clear through to the reach of the sky. Um, She goes on, the the gifts of language and the imagination allow us to shift the afternoon to night and to make it rhyme for the sake of poetry. Uh, The fragment from my notebook became the turn and the last three stanzas, which needed a bit of refinement. And that gets to the monitor. She says, I was watching TV uh, as well as getting handwritten letters from my notebook into a text edit. Um, As you know, they're all commercials from crime dramas and true crime dramas. Uh, There was a trailer for a movie, probably about Greek gods or superheroes, maybe, battling to be, quote, the one. So that was was kind of a TV inspiration uh, you picked up on with the monitor. And you just said, that's where it came from. Uh, Thank you for publishing and thinking about it and inviting me to share its origin. So kind of a nice little- gonna hang us out to dry on the last stanza, huh? (laughs)
2: <laughs> right,
0: Right. Because the yeah. The,
2: let's just the, end on the monitors.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, that's part of the part of the reading of it. Can't go yeah. back now. Uh, like she said, kind of coming from different experiences that are pieced together a little bit later. But so it has that unsettled nature to it and like a little bit of non sequitur.
1: The Philip Glass revealed that if she had capitalized the word glass and I had it that close of the word piano, I might have gotten it, but knowing that that's an actual allusion to Philip Glass, I don't know if you know who he is, he's a living composer, and uh, the fact that she's making a value judgment that Glass is garbage, that's the happiest reveal from a poet I've ever gotten (laughs) in terms of like (laughs) lifting up the curtain behind the scenes, very satisfying.
2: Yeah, the Glass was so confusing to me on first read, I had no idea, but that makes so much more sense. Yeah, I was like the the piano is garbage. Why? <laughs> but uh, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. I'm glad we got to hear her.
0: Yeah, uh, so thanks to her for a quick turnaround because I messaged her yesterday. So yeah, Eva, if you wouldn't mind uh, giving a big, a bit of an introduction, who are you? Why are you here? That kind of thing.
2: Yeah, um, my name is Eva Swicky. I live in Chicago. I. I'm a writer, mostly a poet, but I'm trying to pivot to just calling myself a writer um, because I'm really curious about writing in other forms, I think. Um, I don't know. What else about me? I also was published in Wild Roof Journal a bit ago, and I think that's why Aaron reached out to me. Um, oh, I used to, I like the major project that I had been working on um, I with um, a, a very good friend. I'm so sorry, my dog in the background. It's like he knows when I'm in a meeting, and then he just starts going crazy. Um, he's he's like literally chasing his tail, like how dogs do in cartoons. He's doing that in real life. Um, and so, so, so the main project that I had been working on for like two years. Um, was called Study Hall Workshops, and it was a workshop group um, that my friend, my very good friend, Maya, and I started in Chicago, um, where we basically just critiqued all genres of writing. Um, It was incredible. It was, like, the best way to find a writing community, Um, and we did it for a couple of years, and I've just really enjoyed, like, working my writing muscle, and... I don't know, being open to wherever that takes me, I guess. Um, But I love connecting with like anybody who's a writer, because I think that's like the, of all art forms, that is the hardest one to find people to talk to about, because our work is in solitude. Um, So it's so nice to like have this kind of Event, even um, where we can talk about writing um, and connect over writing. So, thank you so much for inviting me, and I'm so happy to meet you all. It's so exciting.
0: Yeah, nice. I think um, at the end, I, I might want to return to that idea of like, like the community aspect of it just to uh, expand that a little bit um, and get yeah. some specifics. But uh, remind me if I forget, I wrote it down.
1: Okay.
2: Um,
0: so yeah one more poem to take a take a look at and maybe there's a little bit of self self-referentiality going on here uh um,
1: maybe
0: and maybe maybe i didn't even think of the crossover now with uh with the last poem. uh the, the poet rachel glass and the poem title is glass
2: oh i really loved this one um okay Glass by Rachel Glass. I'm contemplating the chances of being killed by a bird when pigeon collides with my window, leaving the outline of a ghost. I tell my nephew, pigeon is now flying in God's aviary, squabbling with the blackbird I killed three years ago. I'm sure blackbird still gives his opinion. But there are still birds, and there are still windows and glass stops the world from coming in. I stick flamingo pink cotton candy to my window to soften the blow, and I hire a hawk to stand guard. I'm sorry to scare you, but at least you're still alive. In the kitchen, a butterfly tries to find her way out. I open the window, but she still flies into glass. And I just think that's so beautiful. I think it's so beautiful first read whoa I like it blows me away a little bit um yeah I'm so curious about I guess the speaker of this poem to me um she seems very very complicated um and I guess I'll go into that a little bit like the first line is um contemplating also I just like the word contemplating it's such a mouthful but I enjoy reading it just I feel like a lot of people would totally disagree with me but whatever um but they're contemplating the chances of being killed by a bird but the rest of the poem is like I'm killing birds and I think that they hate themselves for it actually um and they're kind of funny. So they killed this blackbird 3 years ago and they killed this pigeon right now in this present moment and then they're telling their nephew that the blackbird is basically talking shit about them, which I think is so funny. Like it's it's such a funny way of being like this animal and I have beef together, <laughs> you know, and I killed him. I think it's so smart and so interesting. And the I don't know if this is anything that you guys picked up on, but um, the thing that is killing them is Glass. And well, obviously, I'm sure you picked up on that. Um, But also the writer's name is Glass. And I don't know if that is like such a far jump, but I think it has to be connected a little bit um, because Glass is like, in the poem it operates as like the, the stopper of the outside world and the inside world like this where this person lives and glass is stopping it and this person is like you can open a window but still something is stopping from this thing coming in like these birds but like a bird can be anything um, if it's if it's a metaphor um, so I'm just so fascinated by the by the speaker of the poem. I think they're really complicated and they kind of hate themselves. Um, and they're the one they're the ones who's who's stomping it all the time. It's glass, and maybe it's the writer themselves, but we're not allowed to say that because it's the speaker of the poem. Um, but I I just think this poem's so beautiful.
0: Not the most important thing to. To say about the poem, but it's something that struck me just as I was looking at it as you were reading it, because it it almost there's a redundancy in like the the flamingo pink ca- cotton candy stuck outside the window, but then like flamingo is another bird, <laughs> so I kind of appreciated it just kind of like out of out of context like another another bird entering the wind like the the window pane.
2: Yeah, they're all birds, but then it ends on a butterfly, which is so interesting, I think. Um, And I don't really know how I feel about, like, the difference in that. It also has wings, but it's an insect. Um, And it's already inside. So maybe something with the fact that it's already inside. I don't know. You'd have to, I think, like, deeply read into that. Um, And the speaker does finally open the window, but the butterfly ends up hitting glass anyway. So it's like maybe because this butterfly is inside, now they're just stuck and they can't get on the other side and glass or the subject of the poem is like still not allowing this like freedom of things to move between them. It's it's almost like the speaker feels closed off to me.
1: Yeah, I would say based on the cleverness of the poem, I. I can't say anything 100% but I'd be very confident saying 99.9% sure the last name is a very upfront illusion and is woven into the poem so that the self awareness is baked in and I know I I can't be 100% but I'd be pretty confident. One way I try to read the poem is sometimes I go physical I, I try to think about the physics of the poem you can't really stick cotton candy to a window. Like, do you tape it? Because if you tape it, it's going to be, and then you're going to the reduction in airspeed will not be appropriate to save the bird's life. And at that point, I said, okay, we're probably in a surreal world because she hired a hawk. So if she's, if we're in a universe where one hires a hawk to do guard duty, so when I got to the last stanza, the glass has been the thing that's blocking everything out. But we start with the fear of getting killed by the bird in the first place. And the fact, the butterfly, I imagine the butterfly is kind of a goofy little, ah, oh, this way, that way. And he keeps hitting the window over and over. Giant open space right here, a portal that you could go to get to another world. And bouncing into the same glass over and over again. And this was by far and away my favorite of the three. This was a clear front runner because I felt playfulness as well as the philosophical insight. And I'm a sucker for that.
3: Yeah, I kind of felt this like contrast in like that playfulness and this like imagine reality almost, you know, where, like, it is possible to hire a hawk and, like, communicate with birds and these things, but then there's also this level of just, like, repetitive exasperation almost, you know, it's, like, no matter what, like, there are still birds, there are still windows, like, you know, the glass stops everything, and kind of adding in that layer of, like, the self-awareness is interesting, too, I don't know, like, I just, I really enjoyed this one
2: also. (laughs) Totally. It's like, there are going to be more birds, there are going to be more things, and the glass is still going to be here. It's like, ridiculously self-aware. Um, yeah, excellent.
1: Anybody have a, a picture of how old the narrator is supposed to be in the, in the context of the scenario? Because initially, I was thinking they're both pretty young. And I was imagining a younger brother, but then she says nephew, the so younger brother implying that she might be uh, older, wiser, and I didn't get self-loathing as much as just kind of some guilt some sadness and maybe some kind of wisdom of being a, an aunt rather than being an older sister.
2: Yeah, that's so interesting. I almost wish also we, like, got the nephew back again. Like, I wonder in this poem, to me, when I read it, I'm like, I am happy to read more of, like, this subject. Like, like does this her subject with glass operate in other poems and other does the nephew reappear like I would be so curious to hear from Rachel herself about that I have no idea how old the subject could be um I think I read it as as um a nice old young um like self-deprecating 20-some year old but also it could definitely be like Someone in her 60s just being like, fuck this. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on a podcast. Um, I
1: think you're in the clear. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Okay. Um, You know, just like, have you guys seen The the Sopranos, The Grandmother? Um, Mm. (laughs) Part of me is like, maybe that is the speaker (laughs) of this poem. And she's just so closed off. Um, Tony's mom. Anyway, yeah, maybe I I don't know. How old did you think she was? How did how did you all read her?
0: I didn't think of it. I just kind of in my head it just the implication was my age <laughs> somebody roughly my age and you know, I actually I'm, I'm getting a real a different reading of this now listening to everybody talk about it cuz I was I maybe I got caught up a little bit too much on just the simplicity of the um, like the scene, and just the inside outside dynamic, and what's for outside trying to get inside, and what's inside trying to get outside. I didn't really connect the the narrator's like inner psychology to it, so that's I mean that's interesting to me once you do that, and I think I think that's a good thing to do when you read this poem, yeah.
1: And you get recurring good intentions. Uh about killing the blackbird now that i'm reading i killed the blackbird three years ago i'm doing it like the sopranos accent yeah that's what i killed the bird uh, so i'm gonna have to revisit the poem with the 60 year old version of mine yeah but then i'm sorry to scare you an apology um the kind of fruitlessness of, of taping cotton candy i mean what why not use some nice healthy foam is also transparent so there's kind of a sweetness that came through for me that had to do with these good intentions the last two lines are a good intention, I open the window and the butterfly just floated the glass anyway.
0: Yeah, there is a the sweetness is a good word to, to add in there because yeah that, I think that's part of the appeal. I think the narrator's got to be young enough to have figuring out to do still and maybe I guess not to say old people can't still have things to figure out also, but it made me think that there's um. You know, there's something there that is, uh, is still at stake in the narrator's inner life. I would vote for. I, would, I definitely want to hear
1: back from the nephew. I would like to see a side version, a parallel take, and I want to, I would like a little monologue from the blackbird too. I got to. I'm <laughs> sure the blackbird gives his yeah. opinion, and I was expecting a stanza of the blackbird's opinion.
2: Wow, that is so, like, you can make a little chat book of the things that are operating in this poem, I think. Like, truly, there, there's so much that can be pulled out from it. I would love a Blackbird monologue. Wow, so funny. He's
0: yeah. the first victim in all of this. What does he have to say?
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's so fun. If Rachel
0: doesn't want to do it, I think uh, four of us might be up for the <laughs> test. Yeah,
2: feel a little bit.
1: So tiny, a- tiny point, but the fact that she uses the uh, bird names as proper names yeah. immediately that takes you to slightly more interesting kind of Winnie the Pooh world. It's not a right. pigeon; it's pigeon. That's that's his name, and so yeah, that that makes me picture Blackbird more specifically as a as a little animated character or you know, a, a character with his own agency,
2: right? It's also just I forget who um, called it like satirical a little bit, um, like. It has that element, but that's exactly what that does as well. Like, it makes them full-fledged characters, um, which I think is so nice.
1: Nephew doesn't get a capital
0: N, by the way.
2: No way. We don't even get his name. It's, we don't a, get it's a, name a nephew. nephew. That's I tell so nephew. That would
0: be good I tell nephew Pigeon is flying in God's Avia.
2: They all have uh, names besides nephew, because Pigeon is Pigeon.
1: Well, the hawk is just a guard. He's an anonymous hawk. He's not. I hired oh, hawk this time. So he he gets a little little short thrift as well.
3: But it's like just the ones that died, you know. So it's like they, it's like these characters that like exist in this like right. imagined afterlife after this has happened, you know. And like, but the ones that the speaker has or feels that they have killed, or they get like this almost like level of respect, which I feel like is like kind of like. That that good intention thing kind of coming back in to play there. Yeah, yeah. Not
1: to be speciesist, but they get personhood.
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like, they feel bad about it. Let me hire a new guy. It's just Hawk, though. He's not going to kill you. Um, he's just probably, you're still going to get hurt by me, but um, you won't die.
0: It's always interesting to see the, the poems that get selected and how they, like, how they align with each other in different ways. So, I guess, Chris, you didn't give your introduction just in case. A closing you know, ceremony. We, we have one new listener, and then maybe we'll close on uh, I have one more thought to add. But um, yeah, if there's any new listeners out there, Chris, you can give your uh, introduction.
1: Right, I'm uh, Chris. I teach English at the local college by day to get health insurance. I dabble in music and writing by night. I've got a giant, let's call it a fermenting pile of novel in the corner. It's not rotting, it's fermenting. Uh, And I'm glad that we're not doing this by video. I think as such, this will go out uh, without any video because my face says sweaty Tennessee Williams poem, but my pastels say weekend at Bernie's theme party. And if that juxtaposition doesn't sum me up in a nutshell, I don't know what does.
0: Your pastel shirts popping off of the, the paints on the um it's kind this of is like a nice it's
1: actually worse. I toned the camera saturation down. I really do look like I should be going <laughs> to an 80s beach party.
0: I turned my saturation up. I don't know. Is it still but <laughs> well, yeah, thanks for that. Maybe we could just talk a little bit. The idea of these round tables, I think it's it's nice to think about them as kind of the small scale kind of a you know, it's not going out to a lot of people, but it's going out to the people who um, happen to connect with uh, the Wild Roof Journal project and website and the issues. When you said community, it like it hopefully is something that um, kind of connects to some people. You know, little by little, one freak at a time, maybe. But just even if you have a an anecdote, something that comes to mind in your own past or in your own maybe formative experiences of when you kind of had some interaction or some influence of another person, a group of people push you along or make you consider something you maybe were uh, uncomfortable with doing creatively or maybe pushed you in a direction you wouldn't have went in otherwise?
1: I'll start partly with bitterness and anger because that's part of my brand. Um, Whenever I read somebody who's really good, I have this fine line between uh kind of being angry at how good it is (laughs) i'll never be able to do that and then respect like oh but that but you, you can't help but appreciate it and then uh kind of navigating that cycle and i have to say i am angry i'm actively angry that hemingway and the whole gang in paris with the salon model where it's him and faulkner and james joyce hanging out at little cafes they all share publishers they share ideas that seems like such an unfair advantage they're probably powerhouse writers anyway, but would they have been or would they have been published had they not had the little community, that beautiful idea of encouraging and critiquing and exchanging ideas. And I feel like having going to school for writing, we tried to do that in workshop and I got, I got tastes of it, but I didn't really get an injection of it mainline until I was teaching in Beaumont, Texas and our uh, assistant department chair, something like this, he was a professor, classic texan good old boy wore the hats um kind of cormac mccarthy light and he and i would just chat we'd riff and there was none of the normal intimidation i have normally if i meet a writer who's you know pretty high tier or significantly past where i'm at the intimidation or the urge to impress or people please kind of takes the front and like oh what can i do or say or what questions can i ask to kind of look intelligent and we would get past that and we were just riffing talking about ideas. He'd, he'd tell me about the next novel he's writing. I'd tentatively talk about some projects I was working on. And he was accepting, but it was it was so easygoing. There was an energy there that I never got at school where I was more intimidated and more insecure. And that was one time where I said, maybe I could do this, right? there's somebody who's, if I imagine best case scenario of me 10 years from now, I could kind of see that happening. So it wasn't as much a community, but it was a, an individual kind of mentor figure that I hadn't had any exposure to in the more buttoned up graduate school world.
0: That's a good point, is even the the experience of maybe pushing away or maybe not pushing away or maybe feeling the impulse to do that um, when somebody is kind of, you feel a little bit too close to your, like, I'm the writer here, you know, <laughs> um, you, you don't want somebody to fill your role too closely, you know, stay over there. You can write poetry, but I'll write short stories kind of thing. So yeah, there is that impulse to kind of maybe push a person away who could be that um, sounding board. Or, or, or worse like yet, that.
1: kind of cling after them or try to impress them. And you know that they may be grading you at some point or be a recommendation letter at some point. And so you're kind of measuring those more selfish, practical, status-based elements as opposed to the like the joy of the creative process.
0: Yeah, Any other thoughts? I was just kind of a unplanned question thrown out there. but.
2: I think for me, other than the um, writing workshop group I did mention, which was like really empowering and helpful for me as a writer, I also only went to school for, I studied English um, in undergrad, and my concentration was creative writing, but I like didn't really take it seriously, I was very young, and I don't know if I ever plan on going back to school for writing. So I didn't really ever think that I would have more of a writing community. And really, all I can say is I think it all depends on, like, the person who you are and your environment um, and trying to find the community. Like, I personally would love to have a mentor. I think in my experience in the workshop group, somehow I was like... um, a leader and I was like I've been published three times. <laughs> like this is not any like I don't know actually that much. Um I just try. Um so yeah I think there were definitely moments where maybe my ego was hurt a little bit but also I think that's like a mental self-growth thing in community where it's like we're writers and artists and like ultimately I don't want to be jealous of anybody else because my writing is my writing and like it's good when it's good it's because I wrote in my voice and not somebody else's and when somebody else writes in their voice I'm like that's incredible that's beautiful I loved Rachel Glass's poem I could never write that poem um and that's what's so like that's I think why we all love to probably read as well like it speaks to me and I'll take it with me somewhere. Um, but I don't know, that was like community and it went somewhere else. But yeah, I hope to find a mentor one day. So hopefully they'll come to me or I'll find them.
0: Yeah, I'd love a mentor. I don't know about you. <laughs> That's, I'd love a mentor.
2: Yeah, I just want someone to tell me what to do. Be like, this is where you go. This is what you write about. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay.
0: It's funny I'm I'm a very you know kind of anti-authoritarian but I want a mentor. I never I never put those two things together.
2: So you just want to help or you don't want to yeah. boss. Right. I thought it was interesting
3: earlier when you mentioned um kind of going back to that idea of writing be, being different than other art forms because your work is done mostly in isolation um and i'm like also a ceramic artist and it's like so true because i um my husband's in the military so we've moved a bunch over the last 3 years and almost everywhere we've been i've been able to find a community of art like ceramic artists you know so i've been able to make these friends who are also potters and like regardless of you know whether we're actually doing our work together you know, we have this kind of connection where you know we can like hey I'm I'm working on this new thing what do you think like how's this going having that kind of back and forth like critique type relationship but then on the writing side like I have very few friends that write and like have had a really hard time like breaking into those communities as we have moved around and And it's like, I feel like every time I meet somebody that's like also into writing or kind of does that on their own, I get like so amped about it. Cause I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like, I can finally have some like, like discourse with somebody about my work that like kind of understands that world. So like kind of going back to that community thing, when you talk about like what was, I guess, kind of like a formative experience, like for me, that was like undergrad, basically, and like getting to do those creative workshops, like I have desperately missed those since graduating. <laughs> and It's like, the last, you know, several years or so I just like, I mean, I would just love to be back in a situation where everyone's like sitting, you know, around the table in a room, like reading each other's work, and like giving each other constructive criticism and drinking coffee and just I think that experience, having experienced those workshops in college, like, I don't know that I would have aspired to get anything published. I think writing probably would have just been something that I did. And so having that experience, I, I, like, I kept writing and, like, I kind of did things backwards like this summer i like finished a book and like just sent it out without having sent any individual poems anywhere like i just fully sent the entire manuscript out and it is getting published next year but now i'm like oh none of these pieces have it anywhere like i have no street cred as a writer you know so it's like i don't like i think in some ways you know if i had been in a situation where I had been able to get some feedback beforehand and I, I may have sent some stuff out sooner, but, um, but yeah, I don't, so it's like, it's a very interesting dichotomy between the two art forms. I would say like there is kind of this level of not like, like, cause once you find, you know, other people, it's like, there is this like very deep level of community. Like everyone's really, you know, nice and like willing to get feedback for the most part in my experience. But I feel, maybe we, like, writers just don't talk about their work as much. I don't know. Maybe because <laughs> it's not like a coffee mug that you, like, you know, like, pull out of your cabinet and use every day. It's not something that you just, like, throw in the conversation all the time, but um, but, yes, I don't know. It's It's been kind of interesting to see kind of those two sides of, like, a similar coin, I guess.
0: I think it's nice, in a sense, to kind of get the get the reading group feel of it even from the perspective of the people we're talking about. I think it engages I know it engages me too even looking at these again and then you kind of take take some lessons out of them um, that you might you know even use in in other critiques or even using maybe some other creative endeavor. Um, so yeah hopefully there's some some good coming out of these.
3: I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, I was gonna say I think I think one of the really cool things is um, that like you can kind of look at how everybody's reading the different pieces and then kind of like take away like what in the poem has impacted, you know, this like group of people, which I think is cool um, to kind of like retroactively go back and listen
1: to especially after quarantine and COVID. I've been trapped in like, a, you know, a solipsistic black box. But here's my one opinion uh, on, on an issue or a poem or a piece of music or, God forbid, a, a news story. And you feel like you can't trust anyone else because there's uh, so, so much uh, conflicting information happening at once. The idea of a small little community like this and you strip it down sis. what are your thoughts on the poem called glass by rebecca glass that's delightful i really missed that i was craving that in a way i didn't understand until we started doing this when did we start this
0: december yeah wow yep <laughs> my goal is to reach 20 because i heard totally unverified that i think if you if you start a podcast and you get to release uh, 20 of them you're in like the top 1% of all podcasts because uh, you know, the 99% don't make it to 20 episodes. So like every restaurant has hard. to be in the, in the red and not yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Judging from those numbers, a lot, a lot of them don't make it to 20. Wow. If
2: well, you make it to 20,
0: you're in, You're doing.
2: What are you, what number actually, are you on now?
0: I think this is not okay. nine, to, we did some round table, some interviews, we're doing more. I think we're going forward, we're gonna do more of the, um, more of the round table, kind of stick to that format. Yeah, 20 episodes, 20 listeners. I think we're going to be around track for that. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding about that Sli- slightly. Um, that's. I think that's the idea going forward, if, if anybody made it this far. I like the idea of bringing in, both of you were published, um, previous issues, so I like the idea of bringing in people who have been published in the past uh, to come join me and Chris and uh, pick some poems from the current issue. So...
2: Or artwork, yeah. or
0: for that matter, we did some artwork before.
2: I will say this is, like, just having experienced meeting with writers in the workshop group. Like, this is the number one way I have felt community with people. And, like, even today, um, like, I haven't done the workshop group in, like, two months. And I'm like, ooh, I feel filled up in the same way that um, that made me feel. And I think that's all we're really looking for. Um especially in like, I I was so nervous to do it because I've only ever done critique, really, like, and this wasn't critique um, necessarily, it was just like discussion, and I'm like, oh my god, I can't pick apart somebody's poem, I'll be <laughs> like, what if I accidentally do that? Um, but yeah, it was, so I was nervous, but also it didn't even matter because I had such a lovely time, and it was so nice to just exchange ideas with other people, and like, Really it's about talking. Like we as writers are usually so quiet about our work, I think, and like nervous to share it because you don't want to be like the asshole who's the writer um who's talking about their work. So we need these kinds of spaces to feel like, oh, there's another asshole, right, talking about their work. <laughs> you know? Um, not really, you guys aren't assholes, but Um, yeah, I just think it's so nice and I hope you get to 20. I have a feeling you are. I think it's going to happen.